Welcome to episode 69 of Antimatterpod. Pause here so you can all say nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) A Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Discovery's third season finale, That Hope Is You, part two. I'm just, I'm so happy because it took three goes, but they finally figured out how to end a story. As I said on Twitter, they finally stuck the landing, and I needed it on the day that it premiered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very, very happy to see such a bright future. I remember thinking last year, because Michelle Paradise wrote the second season finale, and as listeners will recall, we were not very happy with that. I believe I cried a bit as we recorded. But I remember thinking that it didn't seem like the sort of story where her instincts lay. Like the whole reason she decided to kill Kat was to raise the stakes and drive home to the audience that this was a big deal. And I kind of felt like this is that story already has such high stakes. You don't need to do that. And Mm -hmm. I think this season has demonstrated that she is much more comfortable guiding us a story which has stakes, but they're lower than the existence of the universe or whatever <laughs> season two was about. I'm at the point where I can just sort of put season two aside the way I put season two of Next Generation aside. And I know that that is going to sound like horrible to people. This season two of Discovery is not as bad as season two of The Next Generation, but there you know there are gems in season two of the next generation and then there is the rest of it and mm, and we wrote really only it, remember the gems these days because discovery the whole story is the whole story mm. it's hard to pay like there are bar- parts of season two that i like but overall i don't and it's hard to point you know, like I can't say I like this episode other than the one with the hidden baby, but like everyone hates <laughs> that episode because it make, it has nothing to do with anything else that's happening in the entire like series. So, so I get why it it sticks out as bad for other people. It's funny how fandom complains that they want more standalone episodes <laughs> and then don't like them. Anyway. I guess what I'm saying is I have a very fraught relationship with the Star Trek Discovery season two because Amanda's tiara can't save everything. No. And the very last episode makes me viscerally angry. I And the last two minutes of the end of season three completely reversed that and made it... It, it was... I was... I was just so pleased and so happy mm. and it was just like this is exactly what I needed from this show it was like a apology but like an apology with a screw you at the end <laughs> and I really loved it season two ends with Michael Burnham and Discovery being erased from history no one can ever speak of them again and all of that Season three tells us that it didn't really stick. Vulcans do remember Sarek's adopted daughter. She does have a place of respect on Navarre. And it ends with Michael where she was always destined to be in the captain's chair of the Discovery. Yes, it was it was Michael in the captain's chair and her crew, all of whom have gotten more character Mm. and characterization and so they're like a crew instead of a bunch of people who happen to be on the same ship except for nilson she's just still (laughs) yeah well yeah she's just yeah (laughs) she she popped in for the end and i was like no (laughs) (laughs) no nilson you did you did not earn this Someone in our Discord pointed out that the actress actually had a starring role in a Lifetime movie that premiered this week, so she was probably filming it while... Congratulations to her. I know, I'm so happy for her. Why is she still on Discovery, though? I don't want her to be fired or anything, I just don't think she contributes anything to the story. 
I, I, it was just it was really funny when she when they sh they showed her and I, was, I know. like I just started laughing. Now I laugh every time I see her. I was like, uh, so we've really never seen her and the regulators in the same place at the same time. Do we know that she's not secretly a regulator? <laughs> excellent, headcanon. <laughs> I mean, you know, terrible, but also oh excellent. yeah, no, but it's the only explanation. So Michael taking that seat and and saying let's fly was like the direct indirect opposition to Pike and Spock. Like Spock, everyone was like, "Oh, it's so emotional when Spock walks out of the bridge back in his uniform." And I was like, "Yeah, except that this is Discovery, and I don't care." <laughs> but like, I just was really, really. I'm st clearly, I'm still angry <laughs> about the whole thing and about how it turns. Michael and Spock's relationship into like a precursor for mm. Spock and Kirk. And it's just like, or maybe they could have their own relationship. Truthfully, I don't think I'm going to stop being angry about the end of season two, even just a little bit until Strange New Worlds comes out. And then I'll either get much more angry or I'll get over it. Hopefully the last. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But all of season two felt, all of season three has felt like a coherent story and even picking up the threads that were dropped uh, after season one, you know, rebuilding mm -hmm. the Federation. What does it mean to be the Federation? What are our values? The whole uh, infrastructure theme, barely even a theme, more of a recurring motif. But I just, season three was so good and this was a yeah. really good ending for it. And I mean, we know we know that there was a behind-the-scenes battle, absolutely in season two. And why? So I I get it. I yeah. get why why it's a mess. But uh, I I just really love like even the episode that I disliked the most in this season is fine. I, I'm not angry at it at all. No, <laughs> just... no, it was a perfectly decent piece of Star Trek that did nothing new. That's all. So I'm. I was just so happy, and I. I so I have a a, a friend who's a filmmaker, and uh, he spends a lot of time on IMDb, and he really likes to uh, look at the statistics for uh, the audience ratings. Yes, and the uh, male audience versus the female audience, and age, and and various, you know, wh whatever it is that it that you can look at statistics for on IMDb. I've not done it, so I actually don't know. Me neither, but now I feel like I should. Um, but he reports it. He reports to me, and and we talk about how angry male fans, quote unquote fans, mm. uh, get angry and use that rating system to get out their anger, and that it's really unfair to the people who are who who use that. You know, to anyone who uses that as like, uh, like I would never use IMDb as a litmus test for quality. <laughs> Certainly not. But there are people who do, and and there are, you know, it's 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 easy to to put a one star and and write a paragraph about how much you hate Michael Burnham, and then go go out with your day. Mm. But like someone, like I don't expect Sonequa Martin Green to look at it, but like. What about the, you know, fourth string intern writer who finally got a credit on this episode of, of Star Trek Discovery, you know, and is like, was super excited and then goes and sees those. It's like, why would you do that to someone? And it is the sort of metric that networks and streaming services keep half an eye on, even if they don't mm -hmm. put too much stock in it. Right. Again, you know, there there was a split among mm -hmm. women and men, and there were angry men who gave it one star for just not being Star Trek enough. Yes. When it's like the most Star Trek <laughs> Star Trek ever has been, as my friend put it. And what I got out of this episode, and it's related to my anger at the end of season two, I got that this was a confident repeat of those people yeah. it was saying yeah we're not going to cater to you at all anymore and we are proud of what we are making and we don't have to 
Yes, it feels like if season two was them catering to a toxic part of fandom, season three is the realisation that catering to those people will never work and they should double down on what they always have been, the weird, queer, diverse Star Trek that runs on mushrooms. Like, it's it's diverse is almost not a good enough word for this particular episode it was a huge cast of characters you know we did Mm. have people coming back in for cameos and stuff but just like on vance's bridge yes you know who are we know none of their names it's like vance and willa and a bunch of other people but there were just mostly women different faces out there it was just amazing and we saw sahil again yes you know i'm so happy uh, and then down on the planet, like that whole group mm. was, you know, super queer, and they they just had this whole thing about wanting to be seen, which is like the most. Again, it's such a huge Star Trek concept. Like, if you are a Star Trek fan who says that Uhura and Sulu being on the bridge means that representation matters, yes, then. You have to, like, look at, at Gray saying, you know, I don't want to disappear again and say, yeah, exactly. That's, we, we, it's important for him to be seen. It was just, uh, No, it's it so extraordinary. And then, as if by coincidence, we have sort of a fight happening right now on Memory Alpha where one of the admins won't allow Adira to be described as non-binary. He insists on having their so-called sex uh, included in their listing or else just removing that whole category altogether because he will not allow non-binary to be a category. And I really, really hope that Memory Alpha addresses that because it is completely yeah. unacceptable. So yeah, that's that's happening in the fandom, and I think it's interesting that we're at a stage where Discovery is more progressive and inclusive than parts of the fandom, and I think that's a real shame. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily new. I think there have always been conservative elements in Star Trek fandom. I do remember when people complained about a series with an African-American lead and a woman as his first officer, but... You like to think that things are getting better. Uh, but they are. They are. They certainly are on screen and uh, in the writer's room. Mm. And, like, we're t- baby steps. It's not <laughs> It's not a, a, you know, wave your magic wand. But this season and this episode was really both, you know, to have... Remember, the first episode had like no white people, <laughs> and I had not. And then to have this episode where there was just an explosion of people, and the Federation was real again, and the like the bad guys were even like hidden from view, so that you you couldn't obsess over what they were. <laughs> like it was just, <laughs> it was just there was so much going on. The entire bridge crew led by Tilly, again, no white men. <laughs> like No, and is... finally Awashikon gets her oh. moment to shine and it's magnificent. Uh, spoilers, because I've been off the Owo Detma train for most of the season. I have decided mm. to ship Awashikon Zora. <laughs> I think <laughs> That's that adorable. if Adira's boyfriend can be a person who lives in their head, then Owo's girlfriend can be the sphere data. I like it. I mean, the sphere data saved her and <gasps> and sacrificed themselves. And Owo and and Jet rebuilt them and Yeah. You know. It's like L3. Yes. Yes. I, I, I love L3, and <laughs> there's no reason why L3 can't get a body. Um, so I, I'm, I've always loved robots and, and droids. I was just thrilled. I was like, oh, well, it's a droid. <laughs> She's rocking it up into, you know, like top five characters for me now because she has a droid friend. It was also like the first time, basically, ever that someone has done something for Owo instead of her doing things for other people. 
Oh god, that's so sad and it was a droid. But, I just think but, she can do better than Kayla. She... But she doesn't want to. Like, she Kayla's her best friend and it's it's fine. As long as she gets support. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Like, you know, it, it's. I guess I'm saying it's not a toxic relationship. It, it might be, uh, you know, a little unbalanced, but... From Owo's perspective, it doesn't, you know, she's not complaining. And no, maybe but... she needs to, you know, we need to build up her self-esteem or something so she can say, hey, you know, sometimes I'm having a bad day. Mm. <laughs> maybe maybe we just haven't seen it. Maybe that's something the writers can work on. Let's show Kayla also supporting Owo. I really would that love would, to see that. That would be good. In season four. Like, I have a little <laughs> list of things that I want for season four, but that's that's, that's at the top. So small. Small little thing that we could have. Uh, <clears throat> I actually have to confess that I've only watched this episode once so far because my flatmate and I were at the end of The Wilds on Amazon Prime and we just, we couldn't stop. <laughs> So I've, I've only watched Discovery once, but The Wilds really impressed me with its depiction of complicated girls and girls whose friendships are simultaneously good and bad. And mm. it did make me think of Awashikun and Detma and the things we don't see. And mm. then we get this lost scene of Tilly's birthday and Michael coming to comfort her and play <gasps> cards with her and then a cell. Oh my gosh. It's just, yeah. again, correcting one of the missteps of season two, which was letting the, friend, the, the Tilly Michael friendship, Their friendship. Yeah. fall by the wayside. I, I just, it was very, very good. Uh, did you have any feelings about the use of We Are Starfleet? Because I felt like it was almost earned, but is also too cheesy to be allowed to pass. Yeah, I mean, it's at this point, it's like it's clearly a thing for them. It's like mm. when people say "live long and prosper" or or beam beam him up or he's dead, Jim. It's like, okay, we get it. We're Starfleet, mm. <laughs> so so it's not as annoying because that like I someone I don't remember who, but someone I know said that uh, a joke gets funnier the more you say it and then it becomes unfunny and then it gets funnier again yes like and, and like the funniest after after it gets unfunny it becomes ridiculously funny yep and i feel like that with we are starfleet where it's like it annoyed me and then it super annoyed me and now i'm in the whatever it's fine <laughs> like and and so maybe that means next time they say it i will be the most angry but maybe it means that they've figured out how to say it in a way that seems acceptable. <laughs> like, that seems like there's something behind it, that they're not just saying we are Starfleet because we are, but mm. they're saying we are Starfleet because of what I'm doing right now in this moment. In, like, the first time was when Saru gave, to be fair, a lovely speech. Yes. You know, to rally the troops. Like, that was a nice scene. But because I didn't know who any of those people were yet. <laughs> I be and I, I was angry. It's like, I didn't like Saru <laughs> in the in the first season. And so, and it just, it felt very, like, based on everything that had happened in the entire season thus far, they, they weren't Starfleet. They, they no, were at no. war the whole time. They were, you know, on the offense and they were angry and they were using tardigrades for their own means with no qualms and like all this other stuff that was going on so it was like you don't you don't get to say we're starfleet we're better than this when you have been not better than this that's it's like that brings up the point that i was about to raise one of the recurring things this season in addition to we are starfleet is let's show them who we are or this is who we are and it made me think of a tweet pointing out that uh you know, when people say this is not America, this is not what America is, kind yep. of maybe is. So it was very timely. The tweet I saw was, if you have to say this is not America every two weeks, maybe, maybe it's it is. America? Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's America. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I've been saying this is this is America. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like a hipster hippie or whatever, but... but you were criticizing America before it was cool. One of my earliest memories is my mother telling me 
how horrible Ronald Reagan is. <laughs> so, so, like, literally from birth, I have known that there's something really wrong with this country. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I was coming to that that conclusion as well, <laughs> that, like, you can't just say we're Starfleet. You have to be Starfleet. And they were... This entire season has been about trying to figure out what that really means mm. and how they can do it without all of the trappings and all of the extras and the, you know, comfort yes. that they had while being Starfleet. And I do still think season four is going to bring some sort of revelation of unsavory things in the recent past of the Federation. I don't feel like they're off the hook just because they have dilithium. But I'm really curious to see where the story goes from here with the Emerald Chain, I assume, falling into chaos after the destruction of its ship and the loss of Asira. Did What's-His-Name survive or did he die? I Like, this is how much I care about him and his which, face. Which What's-His-Name are we talking about? <laughs> is it Zara? Yes. Is uh, it... He... <laughs> I'm pretty sure he got chucked out of a turbo lift at high speed. Okay, so good. Uh, <laughs> I, I never want to see him again, so that's good. No, but no, I was I was like, who's gonna take? You know, if there's a a power vacuum, who's gonna take over? No, he threatened Grudge, and his life very shortly came to an end. Oh, oh, oh right, I remember. I yes. I was like, <laughs> this was another. Okay, so she's a queen is another recurring thing that mm-hmm. just is has now like now that it's the end of the season and it was like while he was kicking him out the the airlock basically (laughs) so it's like okay that's like his catchphrase i get it now he's now i understand (laughs) (laughs) i just want to point out that we don't know that grudge is not the president of the federation that's right. Yeah, I, I, until proven otherwise, Grudge is the president of the Federation. Sorry, never to be feel. impeached. <laughs> I did, I did like all the different forces coming together. I'm sorry we didn't get to see more of the Navarans to the rescue, but this mm. was a very, very packed episode. So it could have gone, could have gone for two hours at. No, it could have gone for an hour and a half or so and we could have mm. had a lot more, but I feel like it moved very quickly and that was good. And it yeah. really, I, I feel like there was only one thing I was missing at as I watched it and that was Aurelio's active decision to join Michael. Yeah, I, I fe- it felt like, and he just sort of appeared on the bridge yeah. and was like, yeah. hey, I have important information to impart. I was like, wait, when did Michael and Aurelio even have a conversation about this? Like, did I miss something? I sense a cutscene. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, and, you know, the, the turbo lift sequence went on longer than I needed it to. But I'm sure people who like action were into that. Uh, I have so to assume whatever. that because people were so angry about the turbo lift design last year that they were trolling those people because <laughs> it's one of those things where I don't really have strong feelings about the apparent giantness words about the apparent enormity of the turbo lift space, but people get so worked up about it. I'm like, I could pretend to like it if this means you're going to keep throwing a tantrum because it's kind of fun. It's so silly. It that, is. You know... If you think about these, these ships are giant. They're bigger than any battleship we have on Earth. Mm. Like, they're huge. They're gigantic ships. And also, as the good people of Trek Corps have pointed out, by the 31st century, the Federation had ships that were bigger on the inside. (laughs) Doesn't really explain how it was also happening in Season 2, but... um... I've always gone with the cargo ship theory because a cargo ship has a lot of empty space and things are moved around Mm -hmm. and it's reconfigured as needed. And I figure that's like where the drones are stored and all of that sort of thing. This is where we keep the spare stuff to build out of. I mean, I'm just saying that even the Enterprise, I don't, which is like the biggest one, right? Enterprise D, Mm, I mean. mm. Enterprise D, which has a crew of a thousand or something. Like... A thousand people is not a lot of people. So more than half of that ship is 
space and, and mm. rooms and and whatever makes things go like it, it's just it's a ridiculous yeah so that's just the whole thing is silly it, it's definitely one of those things I, I i choose not to think about it too hard and if i have to yeah. i'm going to embrace the ridiculousness um, <laughs> but yes those scenes did go on a fraction longer than they needed to once they start kicking and punching my interest wanes yes uh, yes i think i actually prefer space battles because they're more visual and less like it's it's more of a a pretty thing mm. where like a fight between two people not, uh, I, i'm <laughs> looking forward to re-watching them tonight because i'm curious to see if it's in any way obvious that sonequa martin green must have had a stunt double for at least part of it, mm. because this was filmed in March and she gave birth to a daughter in July. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, I feel like there must be some excellent work done by the stunt people and by the uh, director, because, like, basically going back to, you know, I, I think she must have been pregnant when they did Terra Firma, but we were still getting full body shots of her, so she obviously wasn't showing, but they have done a mm -hmm. marvellous job coordinating the stunts and everything this season for Sonequa. I, it's just as much as I, like, I loved when in uh, last week when they were just had, you know, three minutes of Osira and Vance talking and eating fruit. Mm -hmm. the, so I, I love that. So I'm fine with people who love the punchy, kicky stuff and the shiny turbo lift sequences. Like, they can have their stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> we all get to have our stuff. That is so I'm not like upset that it was there. It was just not my thing. <laughs> no, no, I think that's fair. I often tune out of long action scenes, whether it's a space battle or a car chase or anything. It's just not the sort of thing that holds my attention for very long. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm just like, eh. yeah. Speaking of Sonequa Martin Green's pregnancy, can we talk <laughs> about the uniforms at the end? <laughs> They're bad. I don't like them at all. They're just so ugly. People seem pretty split on this. Uh, our our whole contingent seems to be against them, but I have seen people saying that they're beautiful and amazing and they're really? so excited. I think that maybe some people just get excited whenever there's a new uniform because mm. it means that they can get that new uniform and they can obsess over it. And they like, you know, there's some people who really just like want a science or a captain's uniform from every star trek and that's their thing and again everybody gets their thing so that okay is a hobby that requires a lot of wardrobe space full these respect. are really ugly like they were okay on they weren't great on vance but they were okay <laughs> on vance and his people but now that everyone on discovery like they look really wrong on the discovery bridge like there's like color stuff going on, like the on Vance because it's it's bright. It's yes. like it seems better, but the whole lighting system on the bridge set was designed to complement the blue and gold uniforms. Right, and now that's gone, <laughs> and it's very jarring. And they're just they're so poorly cut. They're boxy. They're asymmetric in a way that just makes them look like they're buttoned up incorrectly. They I just really don't like them. Way too much going on in terms of rank things. I hate them. Yeah. Uh, I firmly, and... firmly believe that they were designed to draw attention away from Sonequa's belly. <laughs> well, but, but, you know, for, what about next season? Uh, um, you know, I reckon a little bit of tailoring and some trimming here and there, and they would be quite nice. But like, maybe if they if, you, if they had a waist again, that, that's the thing. They make everyone with breasts look like a fridge. Yeah, it's it's very it's a weird square shape. Yeah, I feel is weird. So bad for Mary Wiseman having to wear that. <sighs> like she and I have roughly the same figure, and no, that is. That is not a good shape for a woman. <laughs> I like, okay, so I didn't, I never expected Book to get in a uniform to begin mm. with, but I really liked that he was in like 
he was in his blacks, but it was it was different. He was in different clothes, but he was still in yeah. black, and he was still like, I am not getting in that outfit. <laughs> like he was just like, you can't do that to me. Like that's how I took it. But no, no, I just, took it the same had way. Little, he had a little grin on his face, like, nope. <laughs> He'll do a lot of things fun. for love, but to quote Meatloaf, he won't do that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, and I mean, I, like I said in our in our Discord, I feel like it's the worst parts of the motion picture, like onesies mm. and the into darkness gray uniforms with the hats that yes. I I will I will uh, have you link to my my <laughs> discussion during the the uh, Nyota fashion project where I was like why are they dressed like Nazis <laughs> because they shouldn't be that that's not a thing that should should happen maybe and especially like, not this week uh, yeah exactly like it, I I understand you know that they're supposed to be American naval mm-hmm. out, you, like that's what they were going for but it's like dude that's gunmetal gray that is nazi (laughs) and they're also they look like star trek nazis like if you ever watch any of the episodes with nazis in star trek they're all wearing those uniforms so (laughs) don't do that don't do that star trek nazis and the empire and the first order their uniforms were all really nicely tailored they were very well cut we don't even have Mm -hmm. that uh this endorsement right, that's, of dress That's where the motion is... picture, like, ha- the shapeless stuff comes in. So it's like yeah. the two worst uniforms in Star Trek you have made a, uh, a fusion of. Don't, yeah. no. No. Bad. I just desperately hope that they will be adapted for season four and, and that now that Sonequa has given birth and is presumably going to be back in shape for season four though she doesn't have to be i'm just saying we need to get rid of the idea that women must lose their baby weight right away uh but Mm. you know it can all be a bit bit more tailored i do respect the choice if that's what it was to put everyone in a big baggy coat (laughs) i just think that it felt like one of those designs that was created with men as the default and then they kind of got to women and went ah oh shit but at the same time like I said on Tumblr, my mother had a jacket like that in the 90s when she was pregnant with my sister and trying to downplay it. And so that's, that's what it looked like to me. Mm-hmm. Just so ugly. ugly. So ugly. It's no good. But <laughs> Michael is the captain. We have Captain Burnham. Like, I, I will forgive briefly. I will briefly forgive the ugly uniforms for that amazing scene with Captain Michael Burnham. 100%. And no offense, Saru, but she didn't have to workshop a catchphrase. <laughs> Although at the same time, it's Michael, and I assume that she had a notebook on the Shensho of like a list of cool things that she could say, and she just made that yep. choice a long time ago. Absolutely. Mm. 100%. So actually, she, she has is well prepared privately. She, yes, yes. I am very excited for her to be captain and for hopefully Tilly to be her first officer. Though, if they wanted to introduce a new regular female character, or I, I would be pretty okay with that. I'm just putting that out there. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I do think that a, a resident of the 32nd century, other than Adira, like an adult resident of this century, <laughs> would come in handy. Though I guess Adira has many lifetimes of experience behind them. I mean, I still think I think I still think that they should allow anybody on Discovery who doesn't want to be in Discovery anymore can can go do something else. Absolutely. And and then they can bring people on board from because yeah, they should have like they have Adira and they have Book, and neither of those are really like standard denizens of the no. the. So it's a little. Like, mm. and like they could they could use a little help i appreciate that they're going to try and make a body for gray but he is also not your standard like an undead no. teenage boy <laughs> is not a person necessarily who can 
I just, <laughs> I know we said this in the episodes where they were introduced, but I really love how Adira and Grey just basically make this discovery the one, the young adult novel. Yes. I have, they, you know, now that I've had them for the whole season, I love them and I'm fully behind their <laughs> whole relationship. And Grey in particular, I would like, I've just loved every single thing that happened with Grey this week because it was, it was just an amazing queer story with a sci-fi mm. twist. And I just loved everything everything i like wilson cruz yes hugging oh my god i just that whole scene great and the way he like the way he just says you know we i i've got you and we're gonna it's gonna happen and you know i i i promise like i won't it was just it was so beautiful and exactly that what they all needed and the parallel between Hugh and Adira and, and Grey and Saru and Sakal and Sakal's mother was just like, ugh, I, I can't handle this wonderful story. And it was so human. Yes. And, and just really, it really feels like a story without a villain aside from Asira and Zara the worst villain but the burn story feels like it doesn't have a villain and didn't need a villain, the villain and it didn't need a villain and because it was one of those where like you know Sukal he's a literal child who lost control of his emotions yeah and that is so heartbreaking and Everyone, like, none, no one who was there, what, like, they didn't blame him at all. Yes, I was for about what to happened. Say, they are it was... so kind to him and so unblaming. And that Saru stays with him after, I think, is such a. Ugh. It's not just a plot contrivance to get Doug Jones out of the way for a few episodes next season. It's really, I think, meaningful for Saru, the first person of his people to leave the planet, to bring this lost child home. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. I, I have here in my notes that uh, I've said before that it's there's this theme of motherhood mm. that is, de- like it's it's clear in the fact with that Michael has so many different mothers and so many different relationships with those mothers but the, what it came down to a mother and son relationship was the cause of the burn and you know like the breaking of that of that yes. you know fundamental bonds like attachment theory is entirely based on the bonds between mother and child and having Saru be the new mother, quote unquote, for Sakal was just so powerful to me because it, it like, he was the only, because, because he was human, you know, because he was mm. in the hollow, like he was the only like straight white man <laughs> that we had in, you know, in the episode. And he had the the motherhood journey where he even like left his career to take care of the kid. Yeah. And that was so powerful because it was saying, yeah, there's, they're like, they, the gender roles are dumb. Yeah. Yeah. But also <laughs> like, it's not just a motherhood story anymore. It's a parenthood right. story. And your note here is that Dadmiral is a dad. And can I just say that I love that Admiral Vance has been dubbed Dadmiral, but very few people in fandom ever tried to put Cat in a maternal role. Yeah. Because fandom has this thing where they will usually latch on to the oldest woman in a position of responsibility and decide she's everyone's mother. And they never did that to Cat. No. I, so it's just... I feel like drinking whiskey and shagging Mira Lorca helps yeah, in that regard. Definitely. Definitely that's why. But... It's it's so, but that's what like the, that's what makes all of this more more powerful and yeah. and I love that that like Vance 
you know, leveled up in character again yes. by, you know, saying, like having that whole very candid conversation with Michael where he was like, I was, I was treating you a certain way and I was wrong. And it was because I didn't know you. And so I was using my preconceived notions about what people are supposed to do in these situations. Um, but he, he completely, you know, said, I, I, I was wrong to be using those preconceived notions and I'm going to correct it. Like he wasn't apologizing for his viewpoints. He was apologizing for like misreading his viewpoints or something. There was just this really great way that he, so that he didn't come across as, you know, apologizing because it was because to, to, you know, people always, you know, they, they get called out on Twitter or something and then they say, oh, I'm so sorry that, that you read what I said in that horrible way. <laughs> and it's like, that's Cough not an apology. But, but he told this, like, sweet story about his kid and was just like, oh, like, you, you're saying I was parenting you and I was parenting you wrong. And Michael, of all people, hearing that is just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that it was a real masterclass in how, as a, as a person in a position of authority, how to apologize without necessarily backing down from a difficult right decision that you made. Right, exactly. Which I think is something that Michael is going to have to learn because she clearly owes Stamets an apology even though she was right. Right, yes. And... <laughs> it was just, it was really good. Mm. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to know everything <laughs> about Admiral Vance's wife and child. <laughs> when did they leave? Fifth. Where are they now? How often does he see them? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm obsessed with that now. And like, it's, I am so like, either he's texting them, you know, every night to, to go to bed, or like, he actually hasn't seen them in eight years. And, and mm. it's this whole really sad thing where he's still like, someday I'll go see them again. But he's just hanging on to something that doesn't exist. It's like, oh my goodness, this could go in a whole spectrum of ways. And it's like, and no one else cares. That's just me. <laughs> but uh, no, I also care. And I'm like, so are they separated or is right. this an ongoing relationship or is her, was he ever in a relationship with her mother or is that just a thing where they both wanted a kid? Cause kind of always felt like Admiral Vance and Admiral Senatal may have had a thing, but that doesn't mean mm. that he couldn't also have had a, another long-term relationship. Say I'm very, I, I am always here for making the men of Star Trek bisexual. <laughs> yes. So, Yes. That, it was that's very exciting to me. <laughs> and, but he, I mean, he was no one died other than the bad guys. The bad guys died, and who cares? Because they were just the bad guys. I do <laughs> like. I'm sorry to lose Asara, but I'm not heartbroken over it. And it really felt like uh, to come back to my brother's comparison with Doctor Who a couple of weeks ago. This not for the first time this season, really did make me think of Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who in terms of how everybody lives and the lost child comes home. And <laughs> a lot of Moffat's stories are about parenthood and I'm just pointing to this season in general. Yes, so, absolutely. Yes. And being seen. And being seen, yeah. It was so good. And that theme of being seen comes up again in the conversation between Michael and Vance that we were just talking about. So, yes. Yeah. Right. So it, it, everything, it all, it was all tied together. And, you know, it, like even Tilly's story about Michael and her birthday was being seen. Like she was, yeah. she hid. Yeah. She, and Michael saw her anyway, you know? Just so, so great. It was, it was just so good. It was like discovery is about making sure that no one gets lost. And I was like, I am 1000% here for that. And it's, you know, again, I, I don't think that they know always that they're doing things, but the fact that Alice in Wonderland is Michael's story mm. is hugely significant to that theme. And the, the quote from Roddenberry that, 
marked the ending. What he says in that quote really resonated me and feels like a really 2020 slash 2021 feeling that we do need to connect and it is really hard and connecting with another person is the most meaningful thing we can do in our lives. Absolutely. And again, with this huge cast and with, they, they just showed many different ways that you can connect. Like you can have the, the Owoshikun and Detmer friendship. Mm. You can have the Owoshikun and Sphere data. Like those are both valid ways of connection and communication. And then everything on Sukal's planet, like mm. all of that is about connection and communication. The fact that Michael was able to get Vance to uh, back off both the Federation and the Navarre and, and trust her to, to take yeah. Discovery. Like that was hugely, like that was a leap of faith on his part uh, by a lot. And it was just the, the strength of her ability to say, look, I know what I'm, I'm doing and, and like that was a you know a come to Jesus moment, <laughs> and he accepted it. All the themes of this season have felt uh, natural and coherent in a way that they didn't in season two. And I do think season two bit off more than it could chew. But I also mm. feel like the writers have had more practice and they had the advantage. You know, this is the first season of Discovery ever that had the same showrunner all the way through. Right. And it just felt like everyone was very confident and knew what they were doing. Yes. And they, and they were, they knew the story that they were telling and they were ready to tell it. Yeah. And every new character, every new character is a part of the being seen theme. Like Aurelio is, even Osire is. Mm. Like they're all, they all have that as a part of, even non and those people on her ship like yeah yeah it was important that she saw people who looked like her and and like had that connection to home again and now that we've seen the whole season i think that non leaving to complete the barzan mission is foreshadowing in a way for saru leaving because I've always been really interested in the fact that they both come from pre-warp civilizations and they're both in Starfleet. And I wish that had been explored more, but that subtle connection really, it just worked so well. <laughs> so, so it's good. It's good. They did good this. <laughs> like, I'm very, very happy with how I feel about yeah, this yeah. entire season of Discovery. I'm just thrilled that it was so well put together and and i i feel good i feel like amazingly good about star trek in a way that i didn't after the first few seasons of discovery or even the first season of picard no no i was just thinking that like i liked picard but it was a mess it was a hot mess of a series and discovery has always been my hot mess of a series and now it feels like it's really gotten through those growing pains and I'm just I want to give everyone a socially distanced hug I want to buy everyone a drink and I think you know I'm this very, I'm just very happy at the end of season two we recorded our podcast and we flipped our recording time so it was my night and your morning and I was drinking and I was crying and <laughs> and I don't like having feelings okay especially not crying so I just, I just, season two really left me wondering if I still wanted to be a Trekkie and mm. I'm glad that I gave the show another chance. I, yeah, I agree that I was sort of like, look, season three has to be better or I can't do this anymore <laughs> like, or it's going to be an enterprise and I'm yeah. going to come back in 10 years and when, give it another try. When we know there's something better to take its place. It just feels like. Aside from a handful of missteps, they were much more cognizant of the fact that their lead is a woman of colour and an African-American woman specifically, and she deserves and demands respect. And that wasn't really a thing in season two. We've said it earlier in the season, and I think we said it earlier in this podcast, but (laughs) 
I really think that it's confidence that the the writers were like, we're, we're not going to try to appease anybody anymore. We're, we're yeah. just going to tell the story that we want to tell. Like, forget all of the, you know, we're, we're at season three. We, it's either going to be the season that makes us like Next Generation season three, or it's going to be the season that breaks us like Enterprise season three. Like, it's that's it. That's <laughs> the way it is, right? And I think they, it just seems like the writer's room or the, the showrunners or somebody like got a, a burst of confidence and, and to push back on whoever was telling them that they have to care about what the wharf nacelles look like or that people don't know who, that Michael and Spock were related mm. or any of the nonsense or like, or people who think that, that you need Captain Pike in order for Michael Burnham to be relevant. All, all of that, all of that. And I don't know if it was any one individual making those choices for season two. I don't think it was. There were two showrunners and Alan, Alex Kurtzman above them. And sometimes mistakes are made by committee. And... Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was more of a, at the beginning, it was people, there was there were a bunch of angry people about season one, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was, that was at the beginning. And I think at the end, they were like, uh, we just lost, you know, half our, our staff. And, and we, this is, you know, we, ha we have all of these balls in the air and the best we can do is keep juggling. Like, right. They couldn't, they couldn't course correct in season two, but they did for season three. I, I think just having the same person guiding the story from start to finish saved them. And I'm really happy. And I, like I said, I wasn't too impressed with Michelle Paradise's writing instincts after season two, but I think when she, when it's her own story, she's really good, and I really which makes sense, of course. Of when course, it's your own of story. course, <laughs> you care more, like, and you know what you're doing, like you know you know the story you're telling, and you have that confidence. Right, right. I think any writer <laughs> knows that. <laughs> Look, I could totally farm myself out to be like the person who comes in and finishes your season after someone else leaves and basically makes it fanfic. <laughs> but basically I would spend my entire life following in the footsteps of, you know, what's his name? The guy that created it, Hannibal, Brian Fuller. Yeah. I would just be following him around cleaning up. And JJ Abrams. Oh no, I, I draw the line. Like someone else will have to take care of JJ. <laughs> I'm just like, mm, okay. <laughs> yes. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, going forward. I'm excited about season four. I have no expectations mm -hmm. whatsoever. So I'm excited. It's like, you know, season three, season two ended and we were like, but what's going to happen to Discovery now? It's really unclear. We have no idea how this is going to go. And it wasn't until right. six, eight months later that we started to hear about the bird and Cleveland Booker and all that. And... You know, they, they've barely started filming. There's a pandemic on. Mm. So I, I'm pretty sure the only Star Trek we can expect for 2021 is season two of Lower Decks and Lower Star Decks, Trek Prodigy, yeah. the Nickelodeon YA series that will star Kate Mulgrew. Mm -hmm. Just, they, I can't believe they read my diary from when I was 16. I'm not sure what you want me to change. Uh, <laughs> Siri That's is also your droid. <laughs> very excited about the return of Kate Mulgrew to Star Trek. I would change nothing, I mean, Siri. Nothing. Uh, I'm just going to take my watch off. Put it over here. So, uh, Siri is always listening, just like the sphere data. Uh, maybe, yep. maybe next season the sphere data will move on from Buster Keaton and embrace the comedic stylings of Marion Davies. I definitely want, like, they said um, in last episode, they were like, the only thing using power is this old film yeah. stuff. And I was like, oh, Sphere Data's coming to the rescue. I get you. And that's what happened. But, um, yeah, I want there to be... The Sphere Data was much less of a deus ex machina than I expected. 
Yeah, absolutely. They were like the cannon fodder. Like they were throwing themselves the, the little droid things. No. Were throwing themselves at you know as to shield the humans. Can I just say, is... a lot of people last week were complaining that the droids were introduced to, like, sell toys. And since when <sighs> is Star Trek sufficiently on the ball to sell toys in its marketing plan? I also, I just hate that. I hear that constantly. Like, in every single fandom, like, the only thing anytime any character is introduced is to sell a toy. And it's just like... You know, fine, like, we live in a capitalist society, so yes, but also, like, that doesn't mean they're automatically a bad character. Like, they people say this about Baby Yoda. I was gonna say, and I'm like, yes, Baby Yoda was designed <laughs> in a Disney lab to sell subscriptions to Disney+. Plus. He is also a great character. Right, exactly. Like, you, it's, it's, I, I know this is, like, crazy to people, but you can have both. Yes. Like, yes. And within our capitalist society, that's the best you can hope for. Also, like, like the best, <laughs> the best Peter piece of writing advice I've ever heard is to think of the story that makes you go, you know, if you saw that in a bookshop or a movie, you would go shut up and take my money, and that's what you should write. And I think a lot of people just want to shut up, what, and and give Disney their money for for Baby Yoda, and that probably includes mm -hmm. Dave Filoni. Uh, should we wrap up? Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess. Do you have anything left to say? I just want to... The only thing that we've touched on but didn't make explicit is the fact that Michael, Book, and Aurelio are, like, the heroes of the... They, they go to save everybody. And I just think it's great that it's a black woman in charge, a black man using empathy... And, and a disabled man. Right. Like, yes. my God, that is such a wonderful, you know, like, those are the heroes. You know, they, yes. people yes. have tried to convince me that Kat throwing herself in front of a torpedo makes her the hero. And, like, screw that. That wasn't heroic. That was This just was dumb. heroic. Right. Like, that's how I feel. And I feel like, like you say, a black man whose defining trait is his empathy and his connection oh. to nature, that's not something we see very often in media. No. And this is not my lane, but as far back as the season premiere, I was struck by a scene where most of the people in that scene were black and most of them had natural hair. And that's, again, not something you see. Certainly not in science fiction, where there's right. no overt political... Uh, story being told and, and yeah that Aurelio changes sides and, and helps to save everyone I really want that cut scene because I think it's really important but I also think that it's even just what we have is great to see a man in a wheelchair with agency and heroism it's just so good so like that it was it was great it was that was so great and at, at the same time you know they were having the whole scene on Sakal's planet and when when Sakal turned around and saw Saru as a Kelpian I sobbed so <laughs> I was like I can't, like oh it was, it was just so beautiful uh, and tears everywhere slightly separate but <laughs> we were talking about Hugh's relationship with Grey and I love that he has more of a relationship with Grey than Paul does and that his relationship with Michael is now different from Paul's relationship with Michael. Mm. Uh, but it also struck me that it is so rare that to see a gay man hugging a teenage boy in media because there is so much... Right. Homophobia. Fraught around. nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And because I've been watching this 1980s Australian soap, and there's the episode where the town discovers that the middle aged men who live together are not brothers. And <sighs> one of the one of the heroines of the series actually says, you know, would you trust him around your kids now that you know he's gay? And <sighs> like I said, this is 1981 and it was a really sophisticated and thoughtful discussion of homophobia Portrayal. for its mm -hmm. era uh one of the men still dies because it's 1981 of course um we're just <laughs> i few, mean we're just a few years away from the aids episodes but 
that's still an attitude that prevails in pl places today, including, you know, American or Australian suburbia. So seeing that platonic loving hug from Wilson Cruz <sighs> was just so good. It was so good. I mean, everything. I mean, everything was so wholesome. Like this entire episode, there, there were so many moments of just connection, mm. and it was beautiful. And it was wholesome without feeling saccharine. Yeah, because we still had the season's theme of confronting that ugly truth that scares you that you can't acknowledge. And I guess, right. I guess two weeks ago that it was his mother's body in that room. Right, of course. It. I think we said it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We definitely said it in Discord if we didn't say it on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> but yeah, it just it made sense, and it still hurt to but see Sukal. Seeing him as truth. such a seeing him as a child mm. like that really because it's sort of like you intellectually know he had to have been a child, but that little he boy was so, he was so young, and he never <laughs> like he was still so young hundred years later. It's like, because that was his defining, but that was the defining moment of his life. Right. And just like for a long time, Michael was that 10 year old girl in a cupboard hiding from the Klingons. Sukal mm -hmm. was that little boy. I, I looked at him as a kid and I thought, wow, they should not put a child in that makeup. That is terrible. <laughs> it's not a child. It's the guy who plays Linus. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Hmm. He looked like a kid. <laughs> makeup. <laughs> <laughs> now before uh -oh. we wrap up are we going to uh -oh. take a little break uh, for a month or so yes i mean that's what i wrote into our outro <laughs> yeah I you just... mentioned it and my family would appreciate it i am completely at your family's um disposal and we'll resume sometime in february yeah that's absolutely fine that's great cool cool the outro is yours. I will do my Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, in including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. I can't speak today. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends. We're taking a brief hiatus before resuming our bi-weekly episodes. If you have a topic or question, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook. You can find our show notes at, at <clears throat> You can find our show notes at Antimatterpad. Mm. I'm gonna start over. Okay. <laughs>